Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm William Chan. And I'm Sarah Watt. Each month at Cinema in Context, we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective, with some connection. It could be the same director, the same actor, or a similar theme. This month we are discussing A Star is Born, which came out this month, and Cabaret, which came out in 1972. The connection being that they are both diegetic musicals, or musicals where the music occurs naturally within the world of the film. So let's start with Cabaret. William, give us a rundown on Cabaret. Awesome. Cabaret, released in 1972, was directed by the great Bob Fosse, um, based on the 66 musical by Kanda and Ebb. Uh, and it details the travails of a couple of characters in 1930s uh, Berlin, uh, centered around a nightclub, the Kitty Cat or Kit Kat Club, uh, with the backdrop of the rise of the Nazis. Um, the main characters being uh, performers, uh, artists, writers, playboys, and how their lives intertwine amidst this backdrop of political turmoil. Excellent. And A Star Is Born. Sarah, give us a rundown on A Star Is Born 2018. So this is the fourth iteration of A Star Is Born. It's 2018, directed by and partly written by Bradley Cooper, um, who has thus far been nominated for an Oscar four times. I wouldn't be surprised if this didn't garner him a few more nominations at least. Bradley stars in A Star Is Born alongside Lady Gaga in her first feature film uh, role. Um, Cooper plays uh, an established, successful singer called Jackson Maine, who one day encounters Lady Gaga's character, a young woman called Ali, singing in a nightclub. He sees her talent, a relationship ensues, and a professional relationship ensues as well as he seeks to uh, bring her star to the fore. Excellent. And before we jump into our discussion, it's worth noting that we will be having a spoiler-filled discussion. So if you haven't seen either film and don't want the best surprises ruined, then I suggest pausing this podcast and returning to it at a later date. Cool. All right, well, let's jump in. Um, So I think for me, the first connection that I made while I was watching the film is the fact that she starts in a nightclub. Um, She finishes her act on a chair. um, (laughs) And... It's it's very reminiscent of that cabaret sort of smoky. You're talking about both room. films. Both films start that way. Yeah, right. Sure. They both, yeah. both open in the nightclub, and yep. and uh, the lead the lead lady the leading lady kind of comes out and and dazzles the crowd with her voice and dazzles us right as an audience because even though back in the day in '72 Liza Minnelli hadn't yet performed on screen but was starting to obviously be an established um, chanteuse um, and Lady Gaga is obviously one of the most established and with one of the most well-known voices of our time I was still utterly wowed by both women in their performances and and completely uh, captivated completely enthralled and fell in love with both of them right from the get-go what a clever thing to do eh Mm. it's a hard thing to do I mean you notice there was that little nod to the Judy Garland film as well when she first actually sings is her singing in the alleyway ha alley Um, and she's singing somewhere over the rainbow Mm. and that's one of the many little nods to some of the previous iterations of A Star Is Born Mm. although interestingly apparently she sings a a verse from somewhere over the rainbow that that Judy Garland never sings in um, The Wizard of Oz so that verse that she sings isn't actually in Wizard of Oz I think I read oh wow but we recognize the tune obviously and we know that it is the same song my first uh, sort of feeling or first reaction to A Star Is Born was just pure 
excitement when I was sitting there, that frenetic energy of Jackson Maine, the Bradley Cooper character, sort of sort of playing his guitar, singing that song Black Eyes. Mm-hmm. It really felt like I was a rock star in that in that chaos mm-hmm. of of that whole arena that he was in. Mm-hmm. Um, really impressive. I found the first half of A Star Is Born just a, a great thrill ride. Mm. Um, and that's nothing to, yeah. against the second half of the film. It's just that the second half of the film needs to be much darker um, or much more kind of serious. Much more conventional, I, I would say, as well. Um, I, I actually, yeah, really, really enjoyed the first half. Second half, I I guess at the end, I, I actively disliked um, just because of how conventional it was. And mm. I, I, I get narratively. it. As, narratively, mm. yes. It, it is the same story told four times. Yeah. You know, and, and we, we understand where the destination is. Um, but I, I don't know how you guys felt. I really thought that the first half at points felt like a Linklater hangout movie. Like, the, the camera was just on. It was really, really naturalistic. Um, the dialogue... The overlapping feel... dialogue. Yes. Yes. Absolutely yes. wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. And just the overall sound design. There's a scene where um, the, the two main characters are in a, you know, 24-hour pharmacy and to hear, like, the, the hum of the fluorescent lights mm. and, and just... That, that, that space was so well realized. And mm. you're right, Jeremy, from the very beginning, it feels like you are there, yes. whether it's on stage, amidst the stadium, or in these more intimate sequences. And really, by the end of it, it, it felt like, like, um, like Ray. Like it was just um, the same old, you know, musical biopic. Yes. Oh, yeah, here's the baddie, here's the obstacle to overcome. And I, I think I And here's really, the tragedy. Yes, yeah. I, I dislike that quite a bit, yeah. um, especially given how much I liked the film uh, up till then. Yeah, I hear you. I, I agree with you 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I felt the same way. I came out of the film still shell-shocked because miraculously I had forgotten from having watched even the Judy Garland one that actually it ends tragically. So I was still a bit sort of sobered by all of that, but thought, wow, what an amazing film. And then the next day, harsh light of day, I thought, now hang on just a second. Do I approve of the narrative of A Star Is Born? Effectively, this isn't a very feminist film at all. It's a about an amazing young woman with an amazing voice who requires a man to boost her into the limelight. I don't think that's an appropriate message for the 21st century. And then the next day I got over that and I was back to thinking, wow, what an amazing film. It was so great because I did definitely cut it some slack for it, as you say, being um, derived from a, a, a sort of a set narrative. Um, so I, I let it have that. I agree with you 100% with the Richard Linklater sort of, you know, the before... Well, I just love... The romance unfolding and the fact that it didn't unfold under the sheets no. straight away. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's got that beautiful. When you are when you are young or not in love and you watch mm-hmm. films like that, you think that's how I want it to go. I want there to be these really subtle moments of connection in a car park, mm. um, and I want the tender moments of the bandaging of the hand with the the frozen peas and then the dropping me off home, and then the coming to see me the next day, rather than that whole cliche of we get drunk in a nightclub and go home and shag. Do you know yeah, what I mean? I, know what I, mean. I, I, I feel Richard Linklater's a really nice connection. My thinking was David O. Russell, mm. particularly the scenes in the house with the dad and his workers and the kind of jokey, joking around and the mm. camera sort of following, following around the, the cleaning up of plates and that kind of thing, which, which makes sense with Bradley Cooper's 
uh, you know, his, his many films with. <laughs> well, actually, it was also David O. Russell's editor who sh- who cut this film. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, cool. So, cool. I mean, apparently, uh, and I got this from another source, but I'm going to repeat them anyway. Apparently, Bradley spent a lot of time in the editing room of things like Silver Linings Playbook, and um, mm-hmm. therefore, I assume established a rapport with the editor, whose name I, I do not know, um, and then got him on board. In fact, the way that he constructed the whole film, apart from Lady Gaga. So, do you know how it happened? Basically, Bradley was at some gig in, like, I assume Hollywood or something like this. Sean Parker. Sean Parker's... Um, Charity of, benefit. That's so. right. Lady Gaga sings La Vie en Rose. And the minute that she sang that in the film, I thought, oh, Bradley's fluent in French. No wonder he chose her. But anyway, <laughs> she sings La Vie en Rose. He goes to visit her the next day and says, do you want to be in my movie? But apart from that, he chose people who he had either worked with before or had uh, best mates like Dave Chappelle and had strong connections with Mm -hmm. and all that. So you get this wonderful family feel, don't you, from Mm -hmm. this film that, as you say, unfolds in a very natural hangout sort of way. And the performances are therefore so naturalistic and are allowed to take as long as they take. Because yeah. isn't yeah. it maybe two hours 20 or something? It's, two it's hours 15, oh, yeah. yeah. It's a little bit long for nowadays, and yet it doesn't feel too long at all, does yeah. it? You know, and it's really interesting what you say about things taking their time and allowing things to happen in their own time. Because one of the things that struck me in the first, particularly the first half, but throughout the whole film, is how we had these really long scenes and... It, I think we're so conditioned now for films, particularly our superhero movies, to be cut and chopped and put pieced mm-hmm. together and bits to be refilmed and edited, and it's all kind of this Lego building of of a, of a film. Whereas this was just allowed to just develop and grow. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the first once they meet that night they spend together. I mean, I don't know how long their whole that whole evening is, but but they're they're in the club, they're in the bar. They're in the pharmacy. They're in the car park. They're in the car. Like it, it, it really just just grows mm. over quite a, a twenty minute period. I'm yeah. guessing, mm. which is very refreshing. By comparison, cabaret. Just to switch quickly to cabaret, the one mm. thing that was really notable to me is the very very sharp cuts in cabaret. Mm-hmm. So um, I mean, quite from quite aside from the fact that I don't think you could call any of the performances particularly naturalistic, and if you beg to differ, hold the line caller. But um, you know, it's not exactly a naturalistic film in any sense of the word at all. But really notable that in 1972 there were a lot of very very sharp cuts, cross cutting to mm. quite sinister scenes of, for example, the man in the alleyway. Mm. being um, beaten to death by the, the, I assume to death, by Mm. the the Nazis and that sort of thing. And then boom, and then we're back and we're in the Kit Kat Club again and all Mm. that. There was none of that in A Star Is Born. Star Is Born just seemed like really um, casual, smooth filmmaking, didn't it? Whereas Cabaret Mm. is beautifully constructed in that regard, but it's very much sharper and more intentional. And Cabaret is really a slow burn. Like, I, I didn't remember being so ominous mm. I mean from the very very beginning um, you just get the, the sense of impending doom of course no, knowing where the thing goes that, that just gets ex- exacerbated um, but I, I think really compared to A Star is Born which feels like it has several peaks Cabaret I don't know it doesn't have those peaks it's very sustained through its entire do you mean narrative runtime. peaks or do you mean um, excitement or uh, I would say both really of course the exciting bits are the musical numbers yeah but then the I feel like the long stretches of narrative between the numbers are absolutely just fascinating and there's so much character stuff in there mm. Um, that when you end, it's almost it's almost breathless. Like it's the whole thing, even though it's slow, it is quite exhilarating. Mm. That juxtaposition, I guess, is what you're referring to. Those, yeah. those mm-hmm. sharp cuts 
uh, is part of the thrill. And, and the, I mean, the ominous is a great word for that film. I think I've, I, the more that I watch Cabaret, and I've seen it many, many times, the more I understand the, just the darkness that is behind what's going on. I think mm. the initial time I watched it, I was like, oh, this is a fun musical. Even those Nazis, mm. you know. But this ain't no sound of music. Like, we're going to compare <laughs> films with Nazis in it. And I did think the sound of this music. This ain't your daddy's That's sound right. of music. That's right. I thought of that, too. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, um, it makes for what I love about Cabaret, which is that mm. it's a musical that... You know, like I said, di- I mean, the, the theme mm. is diegetic. The music comes from the world of the of the film, but it's it's got a real commentary there. It's, mm. You don't have musicals, I think, are usually so saccharine that they don't yeah. have that kind of depth. Mm. Um, but there's a lot going on there, and also I find the um, the investigation of the relationships really interesting as well. There's a number of different like romantic relationships in the film mm. in cabaret, in cabaret, mm. yeah. And it's, um, I mean, I suppose it is the seventies, isn't it? Where where the sort of uh, moving around and 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 changing of of Part relationship the love the love triangle aspect. the love triangle you've got um homosexuality you've got cross um, cultural relationship mm-hmm. um, there's a whole range of things and the original play actually the you know the um the the young Jewish couple I think I think that ends up both they both are Jewish aren't they yes yeah, yeah. um that is an older couple in yeah. the play oh. um and I think it works better in the film than the mm-hmm. play yeah but yeah well the the, the play they have that that awesome uh, pineapple song that is it is amazing <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't enjoy the characterization in cabaret anywhere near as much I love but uh, mm. but that said I loved Liza Minnelli and even though there is nothing subtle about her character at all <laughs> and those eyelashes are just mind blowing mm. she is mind mind-blowing mm. and I were, I just found her absolutely sensational mm. I think Michael York I think they all do a great job look yeah. Joel Grey who did win the Oscar won Best Supporting Actor for the um, MC. the MC yeah. role yeah. do you know he's Jennifer Grey's dad Jennifer oh. Grey from Dirty Dancing oh cool no I didn't know that um, yeah and he uh, he was the original Broadway cast right mm. yes so he's yeah. he's sensational I mean everyone's sensational in it but mm-hmm. um but to me, not as enjoyable. And the cad, mm. the cad, the the the, the gold digger yeah. fellow who then turns out to accidentally actually fall in love with her. Is mm-hmm. her name Natalia? Um, yeah, yeah, um, and all that. Well, I was like, mm, I just don't really like you people very much with all your gold digging and and money grabbing and all that. But the song and dance numbers are fantastic, and mm-hmm. it's it's completely engaging. And Liza Minnelli is is just. And there's this tragic moment when you think about it in the context of real life, where she's where she she thinks that she's well, she is indeed pregnant, and she says to Michael York's character Brian. Oh, I mean honestly, <laughs> Brian Br- Br- Roberts. Bri. <laughs> yeah, Brian. She says, Brian, will you still love me when I'm blown up like a balloon? Mm-hmm. And I thought she was thinking about her Liza Minnelli future self, who had the terrible sort of weight issues and who really did blow up like a balloon. But then I realised she was talking within the context of the film, obviously, and she meant <laughs> when I'm pregnant. But I thought, how poignant, because dear old Liza Minnelli mm. has had a bloody tough ride, you know. Mm. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. That was just a smidgen of um, context, really. Yeah, the ending is, is the ending is interesting, eh? And then the baby, and it's, it's yeah... It's got it's got a it's packs a punch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Packs a punch. It's got everything. I, yeah. I feel like it's too fast and not considered enough, but at the same time, it couldn't have happened any other way. Mm. And it does capture that frenetic, and I use that word, I guess, again, um, frenetic kind of personality of yeah. 
Liza Minnelli's character. And, and that's the only time when she actually slows down, really. Because mm. um, the rest of it, she's she, like a mile a mm. minute talking and mm. just the, as you say, nothing subtle about it. That's right. And and, and, and you can look at it psychologically and say, yeah. well, she's com- completely avoidant. Mm-hmm. She has such an avoidant personality that she has to be on the go the whole time so that she doesn't have a moment to think, I'm poor, I am unloved, my father doesn't love me. Mm-hmm. That's a really beautiful moment and, and, and necessarily... That moment of vulnerability is when Michael York kisses her and realizes actually maybe the fourth woman that he sleeps with might be the one, you know, <laughs> and all that sort of thing. But um, can I make another factuous um, connection? Is that Michael York is known for having one blue eye, one brown eye. Oh. I don't know if you noticed. Oh, I did not. Yeah. I, I, for, me, for me, he's known as Basil Exposition. Oh, right. Yeah, the Austin Powers film. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, I know him from older films. I want to say Agatha Christie movies and that right. sort of thing. That's true. But, um, Hello, Basil. And of course, um, uh, and I think he played, did he play Jesus or did he play Judas or did he play Pontius Pilate? Anyway, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Anyway, he's, he's known for those fantastic eyes. And of course, Bradley has a stunning pair of blue peepers. Mm. On, on does he well. ever. And <laughs> so, he loves showing them. But what are you going to do, you know? Look, I've got to say, and I I realize that we probably know this and probably most of the listeners have done their research by now as well and know this too. But my goodness, coming back to Star is Born, how incredibly impressive that they sang live. Mm. And you probably know, but in case you don't, listeners, when they filmed those concert scenes, because I was like, holy crap, that's a lot of extras. Apparently, they basically said at at, um, Coachella, um, can we just have a few moments on stage? And they came out and they performed in front of that actual crowd Mm. and they shot it live and that was it. Oh my gosh, I just think it was amazing. Because when we talked at the beginning of this about those opening scenes of, well, the opening scene of Star is Born, where all of a sudden we're right up against Bradley Cooper's face and he's playing guitar and he's singing. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, is this his actual voice? This is amazing. Mm. Spoiler alert, yes, it is. Um, This is a guy who's Rocket Raccoon, for goodness sake. Right. (laughs) And also who trained his voice over the course of the six months or so that he trained. Apparently he felt that he couldn't sing, couldn't play music, so he learned music for six months prior to shooting and learned piano and stuff and learned to sing. Now, I think he probably kind of already knew how to sing, and I know he's a linguist and that. But he worked so that his voice dropped an octave so that he could sound really deep. And mm-hmm. then they were like, you sound like Sam Elliott. And he was like, maybe I should get Sam Elliott to play my brother. And Sam Elliott was so flattered that he took the role, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but even before I realized Sam Elliott was his brother, I was like, oh, my gosh, he sounds like... Sam Elliott, his voice is so impressive. But anyway, my point simply being, you're completely drawn in. And I believe that the live performance, the live singing, the live recording will have made a huge difference to whether we have trained or untrained ears or otherwise. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That we feel like we are right in there. Well, there was a Gaga push. So she said to mm. him, she said, we're not going to sing lip syncing because mm. it just always looks terrible unless you're really good at it. Um, so it, it really makes a huge difference. And you get all those little... And you know the imperfections, mm. and singing like in the parking lot because yeah. there's yeah. there's something. And look, I'm not talking about it from a technical perspective, and I'm not a technical singer or singing teacher. But there's something in the parking lot when she sings, "I'm off the deep end." There's a there's a there's a twist in there that my ear goes, "Oh, I don't really like that." But then her guts come out of it, and I go, "Wow, this is the most amazing thing ever!" And this is why she's so talented. Mm. And you're absolutely right. The fact that that is live and slightly imperfect if one may dare to say such a thing gives it so much credibility and so much more power doesn't it well she did that on her latest album before this so joanne which was her album she did with mark ronson who Mm. wrote many of the songs with her on this film and 
it was so refreshing because like, I'm a big fan of Gaga so it was a huge refreshing album because we're so used to pop records mm. being manipulated, manipulated yeah. everything perfect everything cut everything nicely packaged mm. and and you sort of get that Disney Channel glee perfection of voice that just mm. becomes you, you just don't know what's real mm. and so it was really great with that album and then with this film to have have that richness I mean the music mm. in this film is just fantastic I've been listening to the album on repeat since I watched the film this week mm-hmm. and just here even in the album it's like 35 tracks but most of those are dialogues there's mm. 19 songs which even that in itself is a huge yeah. accomplishment I mean one of them is a repeat because it's a ed- studio edit one of them is Lovey and Rose so there's 17 original songs sure and I was reading a review and they were saying so many of these films where they have original songs about music so whether it's um, is it lyrics and what's the one with Drew Barrymore and um Oh, Hugh Grant, yeah, music and lyrics, yeah, something like that. Um, yes, or uh, I can't even think of other ones. But you know, you think films struggle to even write one good original song. Mm. And I, the review, the review that I was reading said, look, the, this film doesn't can't just rest on the star quality of Cooper and Gaga. Like we believe that they can be stars because we know they're stars and they've got the talent to back it up. However, the music has to be incredible. Otherwise, yeah. you're not going to buy yeah. that they are big stars because if the music's crap, the audience yeah. is not going to buy Well, you're not going to enjoy it as much either. So you're going to think, oh, it's, this <laughs> song's okay. But the music is just, oh, it's just wonderful. Yeah. And just such a rich range of styles. And, and also, I loved how you start off with the country and she comes in with country and then yeah. she slowly moves into that and pop part. And it's yeah. almost, and it is, isn't it? As if she's not manipulated exactly, but she's sort of crafted into being more yeah. of a popstress and then it all gets a bit silly and it's about, like your bum in those jeans or whatever the song is or something you know when, when there's that bit because it's so real to nowadays isn't it where she she performs on a talk show mm-hmm. um, and does a, a Saturday Night Live uh, yeah. yeah oh yeah sketch sure show. sure sketch show which and, they filmed in the real Saturday Night Live studios right because um, Cooper was like uh, he, uh, we can't recreate this mm-hmm. it would just be <laughs> so expensive and it wouldn't really feel right mm-hmm. so he went and spoke to Lorne Michaels who's the, who's the lead and Alec Baldwin who's I guess there a lot these days playing mm-hmm. some president I don't know yeah, his name. Um, but he was like yeah, I'll, I'll be involved and be the, the host for that, that oh, episode cool. Cool. So it was, it was pretty cool. Which is a little bit like using the existing, the, oh, there's a concert happening over the fence. Let's see if we can get up on stage and do some stuff. So so Gladsbury, I know they did that. And Glastonbury. What they, Glastonbury, sorry. Mm. Glastonbury, they did, um, Gladsbury. It's, it's a <laughs> name of a, a children's, that's, children's that's TV other. show that I've just <laughs> made up. Um, <laughs> um, but the um, they went in and performed to the crowd, like you said. Mm. They only played it through fallback, so the audience... Couldn't actually hear it, so only the first three euros could hear it because they didn't want the music to get out. Mm. But with Coachella, so what happened was is that Beyonce was headlining in 2017. She pulled out because she got pregnant with her twins, and they had said, what are we going to do? And Live Nation talked to Gaga and said, yeah, I'll do it. And she had three days to prepare Hmm. her set at Coachella, Mm. which if you get a chance, it's it's an incredible set for Mm. three days. And she released a song then called The Cure, which is quite a generic pop song. And I thought, this song is all about being the cure. If you can't find the cure, I'll fix you with my love. And I'm like, hmm, this thematically fits very closely with A Star Is Born, knowing the story and knowing that she was filming it at that time. And when you hear her pop numbers from the 
the film mm-hmm. one of them's heal me mm. um like there's there all the songs in the film are all about what's going on in the film why did you do that to me is the mm-hmm. one that she sings at snl um which of course is a foreshadowing of of the grammys awards show so hang on the ones she did at coachella then she released one song and i thought i bet this is an off cut i bet this is a song that they've decided <laughs> they can't use in the film but it's a good oh, song oh i see so yeah. it doesn't wind up in the film no but the themes are all like it's the same right. theme so they probably wrote this song and thought did bradley come right. out and sing a song with her at Coachella? Not that I know of. Okay. Okay, then I, I'm not sure what I read about her. So what happened was, is that the... So Coachella works so that they do a performance on the first weekend, they do the same set on the second weekend. So for the week in between, everything just sits there unused. Mm. So they what they did in that instance is they said... Cooper, Bradley Cooper went and spoke to the organiser and said, look, can we use the set? Mm. Uh, you know, a lot of the set, the, the staging. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and get and some then, people who are already there yeah. come on in to be and extras. So they invited Gaga, any fans, but Gaga fans to come. They had well, to pay $10 dollars to they would have had watch. to pay people to come. <laughs> well, they, they paid ten dollars <laughs> to come and see it. They had to wow. lock all their phones away. But the fans all turned up with they'd made alley signs, oh, oh, that's and so then cool. they were screaming alley, alley, which I think is in the film. That uh-huh. alley, alley. So they were so into it and wanting her to wanting it to be you know be part of the, <laughs> the story. So Coachella was a bit different, and I think oh. that's the the concert where she sings the piano ballad. Yes. And, you know, that, that in the middle of the film? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. All extraordinary. Just that, although something about the music, I uh, I might be reaching a little here. Um, please tell me what you think. But do you, did you guys feel like the movie was kind of denigrating um, pop? Because mm. I, I, my, my sense from the, the entire, you know, the t- entire scheme of things is that it, it has Bradley Cooper be like the, the Americana, you know, country voice. And all of that stuff is, is supposed to be rich and pure and, you authentic. know, no, authentic and noble. Because he says you've got to sing your truth. Otherwise yeah, no one's exactly. going to believe anything you say. But that's, oh, well, I don't know. I just found that to be rubbish. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I love pop and I love, uh-huh. like I said, love Gaga. But I read, I read this interview, I read an interview where someone, someone's saying, not an interview, a review. And they're saying they started to cringe at that point. And then they're like, but then there's that scene in the bath where they have that horrible fight. Mm. And he says, you know, he makes makes comment of that their lyric, your ass looks so good in those jeans or whatever. Mm. Yeah. She's like, that's my song. So, so what? And she, mm. you know, she really, and they said, coming from Gaga, it sort of, in that sense, validates the, the argument. Mm. But I mean, I think you've got an argument there. I think there's, it's that sort of trope of that pop is... I think, you to know. be fair, I don't think the film is objectively saying that at all. I feel that one thing that's quite good about the film is it's fair. And even though I moaned earlier about the fact that it took for a guy who's successful <laughs> to raise an unsuccessful woman to the top, it's the guy whose fall is so awful and tragic. I mean, mm. God forbid mm. she'd been the one disgracing herself on the on the stage at the Grammys and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in a way, I mean, his music is wonderful. Um, and it is heartfelt and great. And her music is initially wonderful and heartfelt and great. And, and then even when it's pop, it's still incredibly successful. So I feel as though it, it, the film gives a little bit to mm. both sides. I don't feel it mm. takes sides. Uh, for, for me, it's just everything around like Bradley Cooper and Sam Elliott and, and the, that cluster of characters is, is all very much in your face, you know, to bring that word again, um, Americana. Mm. Um, you know, the, the dusty plains of Arizona mm. and, and all the cowboy hats, all that stuff. Um, I, I really feel like the film does kind of see the, the the more artifice side of show business as something that's inherently evil and right. bad. Mm. Um, and I find that really disingenuous. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just me. Like right. it, It's very much saying that here's, here's the light side of 
uh, fame and fortune and mm. here's the dark side mm. and the the two shall not overlap sure. um, and when they do you know something horrible happens uh, sure. and one side gets smothered out is that the thesis I well don't know. I mean I, I think I think fear I think what's serious is about being fear I, I would agree with that because mm. there is that potential there but but also you know if it wasn't for his addiction which which is very clearly implied that it's from this tumultuous past mm. with his father, father figure yeah I mean, without the addiction, they had a really good life. And they were both very famous. Mm. They had a lovely home with a dog. They, they had freedom. It's his real dog, Bradley Cooper's real dog, yes. Charlie. <laughs> and I was very yeah. impressed he didn't eat the steak straight away. <laughs> he was so behaved. Oh, the dog here. acting. And then, oh, also, a really good dog, the dog acting cabaret as well. Yeah. Where, yes. um, there was also some food on the table. Uh, and the, 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 the doggy would come into a scene, have a little pat, and then, oh, I'm just going to eat this thing about five seconds later. Oh, so good. <laughs> but yeah, I I think that it's, it is fear, and I think that I think there is potentially a narrative there, but I think mm. there's enough in there mm. for the other way. I tell you what, I, like I said, I've been listening to this album, and that song that she sings in SNL is such a good song. Mm. <laughs> like there's this like underlying kind of gospely R and B like choir under the mm. chorus. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just very cool. Interesting what you say though, um, William, about the the sort of the two sides because I hadn't thought about this, but I've just checked my notes for Cabaret. And if you think about it, cabaret is all deeply unpleasant. Mm. Obviously, the backdrop of the the rise of the Nazi party in the 30s is there, and it's very present, and it's horrible. I found, though, Joel Gray's character as the MC deeply sinister. Mm. Um, He's like the spirit of... He's, he's like the spirit of evil, or the, he's like the spirit of change. Yeah, he's like it's like a like a sprite or something of change, and so with so. But not in a nice, happy, everything's going to be all right way. It's no. you know, it, it it deeply feels like Absolutely. things are not going to be things all right. Are, things are scary. And and um, Sally Bowles' life is not all right either. Mm-hmm. You know, it's rife yeah. with syphilis and hangovers and um, those dreadful egg and brandy concoctions. <laughs> and do you know what I mean? Prairie and, oyster, right? And so you know, and sort mm-hmm. of um, and expensive of abortions and you know just Mm -hmm. there's nothing pleasant about any of it but in a way the film doesn't overdo placing one half if you will as as more worthy or better than the other Mm. and I hate to say it and if we need to delete this later please do but you know in the young Nazi youth Mm-hmm. starts um, singing um, Tomorrow Belongs to Me. Mm. And it's just this tiny moment of this young, l- lovely-faced blonde boy singing a nice song. I thought, is Marlon Williams the equivalent of that in A Star Is Born? Which one's Marlon Williams? The New Zealand singer. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. In A Star Is Born, who has a fleeting moment singing some sort of Sinatra. <laughs> Um, the same as, as that scene that symbolises the overthrow of Nazis. Rule. It's just dropped in there, and then they move on with the story. So, I don't, feel, I don't know. But, feel free to cut that. Um, <laughs> but I will say that um, the back to this idea of, of of the MC being kind of like a, I guess, a personification of German of Berlin at the time. Mm. And that time before Nazi rule, they reckon, was one of the most creative times mm. in, in, a, in a nation's history. Mm. And there's a lot of fantastic film and theatre and poetry mm. and music. And then, of course, it gave rise to to one of the most totalitarian kind of governments of, mm. of history. Mm. Well, well, speaking of the arts, uh, one, one thing I did really strongly pick up uh, during this viewing of Cabaret, which I don't know why I don't think of this before, but there's such a clear reference to German expressionism, mm. um, just the art form itself. Like everything, everything from beginning to end in the Kit Kat Club, it's shot and 
the makeup mm. and the, the the people, the casting. It looks like something out of a um the De Bruque painting. Like mm. everything is really distorted and mm. garish mm. and mm. horrible. Mm. And it's a it's a celebration of this this gross side of Berlin mm. that, that, as you say, Jeremy, that all these artists were they were living in that world and they were expressing themselves in that world. Um, and to see a movie in the 70s, like, really look into that mm. and kind of and create capture a, it. Ca- capture it as mm. a, almost like a living cartoon was awesome. I mean, it wasn't, it didn't feel real, but in a sense, it was, you know, surreal. That it feels mm. accurate, yes. sort of. Yeah. yeah. Just the exaggeration to make a point. Yeah. And appropriate to come out in the 70s, because mm-hmm. that sort of that rise of that bohemian, not even bohemian, that, that sort of, I guess that expressionist period, and you think about mm. the 60s and 70s, that time of just unbounded expression and, and rebellion and pushing it back against the system. You couldn't make cabaret now um, because we're so... I think generally we're, we're quite conservative as a as, as Well, you say society. that, but there is actually going to be a 2019 version of cabaret what? Um, in Hindi. So oh, okay. the Indian film industry is putting out a film about a, a, a young singer. Um, is, it called, is it called cabaret? It is indeed. Is I it w- the same music? Uh, well, no, I haven't checked that much. I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. But um, one's feeling is that it, it'll have a, it has a similar sort of, um, you know, similar sort of narrative and all that sort of thing. Anyway, just saying. Wow. Well, I, I mean, I guess it's about timing, isn't it? So, mm. so for the for the audience that they're making that for, maybe it's appropriate. I just think that if cabaret. It just says the film follows the life of a cabaret dancer. Production unknown, India, 2019. So it could be nothing to do with the film? Well, sure, but there's a cabaret dancer, isn't it? So it must be exactly the same. No, no, I, can't, I don't know. Pretty incredible for <laughs> the rise of Nazi Germany. <laughs> Can I just say, there's another little similarity that I noticed with Glee. Um, when Not with, with Glee, like the show? No, no, I noticed it with Glee that um, when Michael York suddenly gets rather beastly, and he says to her, you're about as fatal as an after-dinner mint, which I think is such a fabulous line. And, of course, it reminded me of In, the Star, in a Star is Born where he's saying to her, well, you're ugly. Mm. Yeah, apparently it was improvised. Hmm. Um, there, there wasn't, uh, yeah, there was something that... That worked really well. Yeah, and she said that it took her back to her sort of high school days of being bullied, and it just really th- took her back. Wow. And it's a wonderful scene. It's horrible. It's really horrible to watch. It's really interesting to me um, that she's billed as Lady Gaga. And I get it, um, but interesting that she didn't think, oh, I'm going to be Stephanie um, Germanotta for, to be billed um, for the film. And everything that we've read about the film and Lady Gaga, uh, so, well, however we want to call her, Stephanie, Lady Gaga, saying, well, look, I, she didn't want to take her makeup off and she didn't want to deconstruct who she feels that she is. And, and I rewatched Five Foot Two uh, last night, and I know you're a big fan of the documentary about Lady Gaga as well, Jeremy, mm. where, um, and an interview with her with Stephen Colbert just last week. Um, where she says that actually much has been made of the fact that she has her mousy brown hair and no makeup and that technically that's the real natural Stephanie Germanotta. But she's saying, but that isn't me because I never look like that and that mm. isn't who I feel like and it's not who I want to look like. So for her to go back to who she really is, don't know if you read this as well, but, you know, within three hours of, of um, final cut, you know, on the film, um, 
she was out and she dyed her hair and put her makeup on and came back out on set and carried on as she feels that she mm. is. Well, she's very vocal because there was a lot of chatter initially that she would be billed as Stephanie Germanata. Oh. But she came out and said, no, no, I'm going to be billed as Lady Gaga. And she's been really strongly hmm. consistent on this message right hmm. from the start of her career. People go, oh, who's who's behind the makeup and the thing? She's like, well, this is me. Like, she says, hmm. I, sure, I... I wear it for the performance and the, and the, you know, I know it's going to get reactions, but it still comes from where I'm feeling. Mm. And I think the times when she's more crazy is usually when she's probably more emotionally fraught. Yeah, she's, she's often talked about, she always puts on something that sort of is, helps her navigate the world mm. or help reflects how she's feeling about a situation. And the meat dress, for instance, do you know mm-hmm. what that was about? Mm-mm, no. It's, it was in, it was in um, protest to the Don't Ask, Don't Tell um, mm. policy, you know, for people who are, who are gay. Joining the military. Gay in the military, mm. not talking about about their sexuality and so the meat in some way I can't remember her justification but there was some idea of meat you can probably make some connections here with being fodder and, and mm-hmm. meat but that's what it was it was it was a protest mm. of that mm. not you know sure it got the attention it became this sort of identifying costume much like yeah. Madonna's conical bra but mm. um, yeah that's that's where it comes from so mm. the whole Lady Gaga persona it's like well I mean I know the actors call her Stephanie on set mm. but she sort of still claims that that's Hmm. That's who she is. It's really interesting, and it makes sense somehow. It makes sense that that's. I mean, I talked about her the other day as being, you know, one of the most constructed personalities, and I definitely mm-hmm. don't mean that in a. I do not mean that in a X factor way. You know, you are someone else's mm-hmm. construct. She's her own construct, mm. but that's how she is and wants to present herself. Therefore, having her mousy brown hair yeah. is not who she feels she is anymore. I don't wear my mousy brown hair because that's not who I feel I am. So I get that. And I think as well, if she had if she had billed herself as Stephanie Germanata, it, it potentially would ostracize a whole community of people that have been her fans you know like mm. well that was what I did before as mm. Lady Gaga and but now this is the real me you yeah. know but it's like well actually she's been had that message the whole way through this is the real me mm. so what does that say about everything she said before mm. very clever marketing and then oh, of course I guess just the advertising in general um, my, my, yes, student, does, my students are like oh yeah the Lady Gaga movie yes yeah. exactly yep, exactly it would be foolish to say, oh, who? Yeah. Well, I was talking to my brother yesterday, and I was, he goes, so who's Bradley Cooper? And I was like, no, no, I said, Bradley Cooper. And he's like, oh, yeah, who's he? I was like, mean, you mean in terms of what character he plays? He's like, uh, sure. I was like, oh, do you mean as an actor? He's like, well, both. I'm like, oh, where Bradley Cooper is in this and this and this. Yeah. And I even, went, I even got as far as saying, he was r- r- Rocket Raccoon. He's like, uh, I don't really watch this movie. <laughs> so he had no idea who Bradley Cooper yeah, was. Yeah, wow. But he, he knew who Lady Gaga was. Of course. Oh, Break? Oh, man, Bradley Cooper does... Um, I mean, he, he does make a mark, I guess, um, for better or for worse. I I don't know. I, I feel like I'm kind of a naysayer uh, with the stars born. I, I liked it, and then I didn't. Um, you didn't like him? I did not like him. Um, right. I, I just found a disconnect. I don't know. It was, uh, it was knowing that he was the director, and he wrote a lot of it, and just from the very beginning with the camera all up in his, you know, his mm, face, mm, mm. and... And so much of the movie is about him and him acting, mm. him being sad and him being happy and him emoting. Mm. And maybe it didn't, it wasn't intentional, but it did have that sheen of, of narcissism. You're and right. I did Total not like that. Yeah. Right. Um, and look, it's him actually playing an instrument. And it's, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I will say I enjoyed all the scenes with Lady Gaga, I enjoyed yeah. Sam Elliott and um, uh, what's the name? Who, who plays her dad? Uh, Michael Andrew Dice Clay. Andrew Di- I was going to say Michael Clayton. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's not in this one. Okay. He's probably in the sequel. Like, Andrew Dice Clay and, and his, his friends with um, sure. 
uh, the the warden guy from uh, Orange is the New Black. Um, but like, I loved all those characters. Mm. Um, I just didn't love him. And and as the movie went on, I guess why I felt even more negative was because because of all that hubbub around him. I, I don't felt the movie really earned it. Maybe because I was coming from a place that I just did not want to see Bradley Cooper on screen that much. Do, do you think if, if someone else had directed it, you know, the exact same film, mm. and you knew that there was a different name behind it? Very, very good question, Jeremy. I don't know. I, I really don't know. Um, I remember watching Silver Linings Playbook and not liking it very much because of Bradley Cooper anyway. Oh, okay. Well, uh, yeah, he, and he, I, he didn't I, know, but he was that, appallingly acting in that. Yeah. And I don't mean he acted badly. I just mean Silver Linings Playbook is such a challenging film. Yeah. Um, not as bad as American Hustle. Oh, and, and, Explosion it, at the <laughs> Wig Factory. But it is, yeah, it is all acty, acty, acty. Yeah, Jennifer Lawrence was not, not great in that movie either. I, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, but I, I remember distinctly walking out of the movie, going, "Oh, geez, I what, Star is born? No, no. Um, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, Silver Linings. Sure. I'm going. Geez, he he is not a great actor. Mm. Um, and then maybe that was just exacerbated because he was, you know, taking so many roles in this one. I did um, have reservations did not feel it. going into it. I did have reservations about his being director, star, looking so beautiful on the poster and all the things where you think, well, of course you're going to make yourself look great and all that. And I thought about it in the context of Kenneth Branagh and Ray Fine, mm. both of whom are um, pretty solid directors of themselves in actually pretty solid films. And I tend to think, this is a tricky thing, right? Kenneth Branagh, I think, always does a really good job, even when he directs himself. And Ray Fine was amazing in Coriolanus, even though he was directing himself. But I can't help, as I, I hear you, William, I can't help but think, oh, get you, eh? You think that you're the right person for the role, do you? Mm. And I thought that of Bradley until he proved it to me by doing it all himself and doing it so well. Mm. And so I, and I, I did think that his musical ability was amazing. If he had been less good, I might have thought, mate, you're so vain. You should have just got someone who could sing and, mm. and act like a rock star. But he actually wowed me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I even though I know that the editing was done by David O. Russell's editor, obviously Bradley's the director, and he's in the room saying that's good, that's good. And I thought it was great in that regard. And I thought the photography by um, Matthew Lebatik, um, Darren Aronofsky's mm. regular guy, was fantastic. But Bradley, of course, is the overseer of all those things. And mm-hmm. I thought, blooming heck, he's constructed an amazing. Probably, let's be honest, Oscar-winning film here. Whether it wins Mm -hmm. Best Picture or not, and at the moment I can't even think what's going to be in that nominees list. So I wouldn't be surprised if this did get Best Picture. Mm. She'll certainly get. She ought to certainly get Best uh, Actress. She'll get. There would be song. There'd be song nominations popping out. Well, that's right. So I mean, you know, it might just go for song and sound because I agree with you on. Oh no, I think I think it's going to get some nominations. I think it's really captured the heart of America. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. made a lot of money. It's. Not quite with number one because of Venom, and uh, its album because of Venom. Oh my <laughs> word! Its, al- its album is number one um, in the states. It's t- five of its songs are in the top ten tracks. Mm-hmm. Top I'd, two I'd tracks see it again straight away. My husband would see it again straight away, and we mm-hmm. don't often leap to second viewings. Of I'm, I'm going to go see it again, obviously, because I'm you know. But I tell you about Bradley Cooper. I hear you, William, in terms of I guess your feelings towards him. Mm-hmm. I thought he was phenomenal. So mm-hmm. My. The, the part for me, like, I, I was just, I didn't even think about acting when I was watching. I was just sitting there just enjoying this, the, the energy of the film. The part that really made me go, wow, was when, near the end of the film, so he's, I can't remember what, what part of his drunkenness this is at, but he, he visits her at 
Um, it's after the fight in the bath. Mm. He visits her at her choreo- choreography rehearsal, and he says, look, I'm really sorry. I said some things. And I could see on his face that he was sober. Mm. And I'm like, mm. how did you... I, I mean, as someone who dabbles he, in a bit of acting was myself... He drunk, <laughs> was he drunk when he went to visit her? No, he was drunk in the, the fight in the bar. Right, and then... And, and then he's sober when he visits her. And she her. says to him, you're sober, you're aren't sober. you? And I was yeah. like, as an audience member, I could tell that mm. just by looking at him. And I thought, he hasn't got, he hasn't got completely wasted. I mean, he might have, but I doubt it. Um, he's, he's done stuff with his eyes and with his voice and with the way he's holding himself just to capture that drunkenness in a way that doesn't feel like drunk acting or, you know, cause he's not just mm. drunk, he's taken pills and yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, I just, that for me was so subtle and clear. Was it more subtle than Michael York being a little bit drunk in cabaret and <laughs> having to lie down on the couch? <laughs> Probably. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of cinema in context. If you enjoyed our podcast, then please share it with your film loving friends. You can listen to Cinema in Context through SoundCloud or through Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Facebook, subscribe to us on Twitter or YouTube, which are also great places to let us know what you think of this episode or give us suggestions for future films to discuss or compare. Look out for our next episode in a month's time. And until then, kakite anō.